2: Welcome to Strange Familiars. Welcome to Strange Familiars, Allison.
3: Oh, thanks. I've never been here before. What's it like?
2: It's pretty much this. Oh, okay. Well, we've done it again. On tonight's show, we've got an assembly of short stories and stories to read. A potpourri. We've got all kinds of stories tonight. We've got UFOs. We've got predictions and premonitions and nighttime invaders and weird flying heads and flannel man. We've got flannel man. We have Flannel Man. If you're worried that we might not have Flannel Man, we've got Flannel Man. And we've got Witch Ladies and more. Before we start our short stories, I just want to thank our patrons. Thank you so much. We could not do Strange Familiars without you. If you like what we do on Strange Familiars, and you'd like to get extra content besides, you can become a patron at Patreon at patreon.com slash strangefamiliars. There's different tiers of support there. You can choose to get things like pins and stickers t-shirts, and more. But all of our patrons, no matter what tier they choose, get two full extra episodes of Strange Familiars every month. Again, it's patreon.com slash Familiars. Let's start off our stories with the first of three by Cullen P., he sent in multiple stories for us. This is a mystery light, which he saw a short time after his father saw a UFO. There's an interesting thing he talks about. His mom remembers seeing the light. He remembers it being multicolored. His mom remembers it as a white light. And he says in his story, he says he thinks his mom, her memory is wrong. Maybe. I go back to that night where John and I were at Site 7, and we were looking at the same light. And he saw something the size of a golf ball, and I saw something the size of a pen light. I think we were looking at the same light. I think we were seeing two different things. I really do. He was describing exactly what he like was Like
3: the saying. black Bigfoot and the white Bigfoot.
2: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I've begun to think that this is a thing with paranormal stuff, that sometimes two <laughs> people seeing the same something can see it. In a different way.
3: In the same way that one person cannot see anything and another person can definitely see that something. That absolutely
2: happens as well. Absolutely. So let's go ahead and hear Cohen's first story.
4: I was about 11 or 10 years old and I was in my parents' bedroom at the time in Kentucky and I saw a light outside the window and it was moving, it was round. And it was changing color. So it was red, and then it would sort of bleed into like blue, bleed into green. It was shifting color at regular intervals, but smoothly. It must have been the size of a basketball because it was in front of my neighbor's house. I could see houses behind it. So it was pretty close and it seemed to be about basketball size. It enticed me so much that I called my mom and my sister over who were nearby and they sort of looked at it out the window and were like, what is that? And we watched it floating around and its movement was like playful. It was like varying in speed and changing direction in odd ways and just sort of playfully moving around outside of the window probably about 20 30 feet away i don't exactly remember like how it left but i seem to remember it just like speeding off really fast but that part I'm not entirely sure about, but the rest of it, I feel like, made such an impression on me that I feel like my memory's pretty accurate. It was floating around out there. It was varying its direction and speed in a weird way, and it was gradually shifting its color into all these different, like primary colors. The reason I think it made such a big impression on me at the time is not long before that, my dad had woken up really early to go to work, and he let the cat out the backyard. We had a really well-behaved cat that didn't use a litter box, so it would go outside, and he opened the door to let the cat out in the back, and he says that he saw an object in the sky in the distance, and once he noticed it it seemed to notice him almost and it quickly zoomed over the house and he said it was saucer shaped like just like your classic ufo and it was directly over the house directly over him and he said it had a white light in the center of it bright white on the bottom But the uh, light didn't cast a shadow, he said. So when he told me that story, I think that must have been like the first time I had heard about UFOs outside of maybe some stuff in pop culture that might have been on TV at the time. But after hearing that, I noticed that orb, and that made such an impression on me that I know I remember those details about it. Now, I've asked my mom about it, she says it was a white light. I don't think she's remembering it correctly because I distinctly remember it changing colors. And my sister does not remember it at all, so I don't think it made quite the same impression on her.
2: Next, we have a collection of stories from Benita E., Predictions, Premonitions, A Bedroom Invader, and The Ghost of the Water Bottles.
1: Hello, I'd like to share some of my experiences. Even as a child, I was exposed to the unexplained. When my grandmother passed away, my older sister, who was no more than eight years old, said to my mother, Oma, her grandmother has died. She said the thought just came to her, and she knew it to be true. Later on that day, my mother got a phone call saying that my grandmother had actually passed away suddenly. She was 60 years old. I myself have an uncanny ability to predict things or get a funny feeling about things, which often turns out to be true. I once said to my family, why did they change the fitness studio sign? As we drove towards the gym, we saw that the sign had not been changed. Two days later, my husband came home and said that on that day, they actually had come in and changed the sign. I was at a cemetery on an organized nighttime scouts adventure with my son. We had an amazing evening. A uh, cemetery has a lot of old graves, and it triggered a, a love of cemeteries for myself. We were given entrance to the mausoleum, but first we had to find a light source, which took a little bit of time. Then I started looking around. I had a strong feeling and strong memories about a coworker who had died about 10 years prior. I was wondering about them. Where they were buried? Could they be buried in this graveyard? I did not know that they were cremated. I turned around to find myself standing in front of her urn enclosed in a glass case with some personal effects and a photo. I got a chill in my body and felt shaken. I knew she was reaching out to me. She was such a fun, vivacious person and had died quite young. I was once out for a bike ride in an industrial area in our city. It's near a major highway and there's some trees and tall grasses along the path. I rode past a drug courier on a bike and shortly after was very overwhelmed by the smell of death. I worked in the healthcare field, so I did know what that smell was. I told my family later that I had a feeling someone had died there. I felt like there was somebody lying in the grass. And I really wanted to go back and investigate. I couldn't talk anybody else going back with me. And I also couldn't shake that feeling. And I didn't want to go by myself. The next day, children in a local school went out for recess. And as they were playing, found a human body in the tall grass outside of their school. It struck me as being very unusual, since I was so obsessed with there being a dead body in the grass. I was in the laundry room and was preparing to fold laundry. Having four children, there was always a lot of laundry. I looked up and saw a dust face on the mirror in front of me. It was the face of a child. It was very odd because the rest of the mirror did not have any dust on it. I called my husband to come take a look. I took a photo before I cleaned the mirror, thinking, if it comes back, I'm moving. I have not been able to find that photo. Sleep terror. I was awake in my bed and out of the corner of my eye saw a dark figure coming into my room and laid down on top of me and I could not breathe. I sat bolt up in bed trying to catch my breath and bring my heart rate down. I was in the laundry room emptying water bottles. One more water bottle that I had found hidden behind the washer. I called my husband because I realized that finding water bottles in unusual hidden locations in our laundry room was becoming a daily occurrence, and it was very strange. He said that he was also finding water bottles that were open but only partially drank in our laundry room, hidden behind the washer or the dryer, or behind the fridge. We decided we would no longer empty the bottles but save them and collect them and try to figure out what was happening. We collected many bottles and lined them up in a row. We noticed that they were open and only a small amount of water was drank before the water bottle was hidden. The amount of water left in the bottle was at the same line for each bottle. We asked all of our children and to this day they deny drinking and leaving bottles in the laundry room. And in fact all of them said, do you think we have a ghost?
2: Next, Allison is going to read a story that was submitted to us by John M.
3: Hey, gang. Thanks for giving us a place to tell our stories. I'm a lifelong experiencer from as long as I can remember, ranging from nature spirits to shadow people. But I only have one Bigfoot encounter, and I know that's what Tim likes to hear. It was about four to five years ago in the before times. This happened in central Indiana. It was a summer Friday afternoon around 5 p.m., I was waiting to meet with a co-worker on the backside of his client's office building to drop off some products for him. I was sitting in my car facing south, and to the south and west of me were miles of woods with office buildings and homes to the north and east. Between me and the woods was about 70 to 80 yards of mowed grass and then thick woods. I'd been sitting in my car for about 20 minutes when my co-worker texted that he would be late and to just leave the product on the now empty loading dock as everyone had gone home. So I got out of the car, and I go to the trunk And the moment I opened the trunk, I got an overwhelming sense of dread. The feeling of being watched mixed with a growing sense of fear. My head snapped up and I scanned the woods. There, just inside the tree line, it was standing watching me. Its body was most hidden by the large trees, bushes, and shadows. But I could see the right side of its body. Its right arm and leg from the knee up. A small portion of its chest and just enough of its face to see one eye with light reflecting off of it. It was shaped like a juggernaut from the X-Men comics, with thick muscles and hunched up shoulders. It stood easily at eight feet, if not taller, and had short orange hair and grayish skin. It stood there looking at me, and I instantly knew it was mad that I was there, and I quickly lowered my head and spoke softly out loud, I'm sorry you're mad, I just need to drop this off and I'll leave. So I dropped off the product quickly. I took one look back at it, which besides for crossing its massive arms, it had not moved and I got in my car and left. The whole encounter took less than five minutes. The area that this happened in has now been developed and turned into more office buildings, and the woods are all but gone. I pass there sometimes and wonder where the creature went.
2: For our next story, we're going back to Cohen, his story of a flying head.
4: I lived in a small town in Texas, for a little while. I must have been like 14, 15. And we lived across the street from a cemetery, a really small cemetery. I don't know if that's an important detail really, but it just seems to be maybe relevant. My mom collected wigs and she had all these styrofoam heads hanging out. And so I took one of the styrofoam heads and I painted like uh, with a sharpie like kiss makeup style, you know, just like face paint, like heavy metal face paint on it. And I don't know if that's important either, but I put it on my chest of drawers in my room. One day I was having a fight with my sister. I was really upset and she ran into my mom's room, closed the door and locked it. And I think she had something of mine or something, something, I, I I was like mad she had it, or something like that, but I was really upset, and this probably would have been about the time of puberty, I was kind of a late bloomer, so I was like banging on the door, really upset, and I noticed in my periphery, about 10 feet away in my room, that styrofoam head flew off of the surface it was sitting on, unprompted by any physical thing that I would have been doing or anything else that I can think of that could have possibly happened. There were no open windows or anything, not that even a draft could blow that thing. You know, it would have to be a severe weather type of thing to even consider that. I mean, this thing, it had some force behind it. It just went and flew off the furniture it was on. I had never even heard about real world poltergeist stories. And years later, I read in Colin Wilson's The Occult. He wrote about poltergeist and he theorized about what could cause stuff like that. And only then was I like, oh wow, okay, maybe that explained it. But I had no idea what it could have been at the time. But it was just such a weird thing that I remember that because 99% of being 15 years old or 14 years old, I don't remember. But that one little moment,
2: I remember that happening. Have you been anxious for Flannel Man, Allison? I am. Well, we're getting to him now. <laughs> this is Kimberly. She's from a podcast called A Date with Dateline. She mentioned seeing a lumberjack vision on the podcast. One of our listeners heard.
3: Snapped into Flannel Man action.
2: And contacted us both, kind of put us in touch with each other. So let's hear Kimberly's Flannel Man story. Well I'd like to welcome Kimberly from a Date with Dateline podcast and I have something I'm very excited to talk to you about but before that tell us a little bit about your podcast.
5: We do Snarky Lovingly Snarky recaps of Dateline episodes where we make <laughs> we make fun of the dumb criminals and the weird fashion choices and how everyone loves life before they are murdered. But We try to be respectful at the same time. We love Dateline. We love the hosts. And we've had a couple of the hosts on the show before. Oh, that's great. And Yeah. We're just huge fans. So that's what we do.
2: When did Dateline start?
5: Dateline started 20-something years ago. Okay. uh, But they only transitioned into like all murder all the time in the maybe 2000s, I want to say. Okay. In the past 10 years have been like heavy... They went through a phase where it was news, and then they went through a phase where it was to catch a predator, Mm-mm. and it was like, oh, you're here to meet a 12-year-old boy. Take a seat. You're on Dateline. Right. And then they moved on to the husband did it, the wife did it. So those are the ones that we cover.
2: Oh, okay. Now, do you go back in time, or you just take the current one?
5: No, we do the repeats as long as they are murder-centric, we mm-hmm. <laughs> We insist upon murder-centric.
2: We got uh, quite a bit to choose from. I guess you're not going to run out of material anytime soon.
5: As long as life insurance is still a thing, spouses are going to keep killing each other.
2: (laughs) There you go. Well, we have a shared listener, Marion. Hi. Who who heard you mention something, and she emailed us both, put us both together in in an email chain, and I wasn't exactly sure what she was talking about at first, but then... (laughs) There was mention of lumberjack and a lumberjack yeah. vision. I thought, well, this might be something. So can you just tell us what happened?
5: I'm not. Um, I want to believe, but mm-hmm. I'm also quite skeptical. I always have felt like I sort of have a wall up so that I don't encounter things that will freak me out. Mm hmm. Because I don't want to, but I kind of want to, but I'm scared if that makes it any yeah, sense sure. at all. Yeah. But I do love hearing stories about this, and I really want to believe because death terrifies me more than anything else. And so to think that there's more, it's very comforting to me. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, with that said, I was in college, and my college has this like underground network of I want to say like tunnels and pipes and it is very against the rules and supposedly you will get kicked out you won't be allowed to graduate if you are caught sneaking down are you but allowed to say is,
2: what college this is
5: um i shouldn't say but it's in los angeles okay so i senior year decided to be risky for the first time in my life i'm not a rule breaker by any sense and so we climbed down into these tunnels and then you can walk in these tunnels and go from one side of the campus to the other and you can actually come up into the library at like three in the morning where everything's wow. all dark it's very creepy very bizarre and so we were down in the tunnels i'm naturally claustrophobic i'm naturally scared of ghosts i'm naturally scared of literally everything i'm a scared person and so may i was scared and I was scared to get caught as well and I saw for a flash a man in a red lumberjack type flannel shirt under there then he was gone no one else saw him and there were other weird things down there like left by workmen or other students who had you know snuck down there Mm -hmm. like old rusty things and weird marks on the wall and like it's very creepy So I didn't think anything of it. I kind of didn't know if I believed it myself or not. But then I heard from this joint listener that you have a running thing about lumberjacks.
2: People see men, uh, much less often, but sometimes women, in flannel shirts. They show up in their houses. They show up in weird, you know. So, briefly... The way it came into my life is uh, my wife, who herself is a skeptic and doesn't want to believe, Mm -hmm. uh, yet sleeps the light on and has (laughs) since she was very young. One night before we were married, we were, you know, at this point dating or engaged, I forget which. And we were sleeping in her childhood bedroom and she woke me up screaming. Before I ever opened my eyes, I remember just saying, oh, it's okay, it's, it's okay, it's okay, which I thought later, probably open your eyes and look around first before you <laughs> tell someone it's okay. But anyway, by the time I woke up, there was nothing there. Her parents had come in the room, like, what's going on? And she had seen, standing at our feet, which she described as a lumberjack. No. guy Ga- No, thank you. Guy in a no, red, <laughs> in a red and black plaid shirt. He had a big beard. She says... She actually doesn't remember if he was holding an axe or if he looked so much like a lumberjack, she kind of put, right. a, put an axe in his hands in memory. Yeah. I just took it as a bad dream until several years later, I was on an internet forum, and they were talking about Lumberjack Man or Flannel Man, these people were calling him. I say, oh, yeah, people see this. <gasps> and I went, what? I followed it away, and when I started... Strange Familiar is the podcast. I said, even my skeptical wife has had something very early on in the episodes. And I mentioned this encounter. And then we started getting people emailing us. I've seen this. I've seen this. I've seen this. So we get a variety of stories. Most of them. And by most, I mean, probably like 60% are people wake up like my wife and... It's there. He's there
5: in your room. Yeah,
2: it's not always um, the same guy. The people describe him differently, but the flannel or check shirt is the yeah. the thing that's in common. Sometimes people get up in the middle of the night, go get a glass of water, come back down the hall, and he's standing in the hall. You know, which is like freaky. Now, now my wife said she didn't seem feel threatened by him. She was just oh, he, he shouldn't have, he shouldn't have been there. That's right. all. That's why she screamed because he just shouldn't have been there. in fact, she said he looked shocked that she could see him. He looked like he was caught. And we get this a lot with these encounters. However, the other, like I said, the smaller percentage, you know, 30, 40 percent are encounters like yours where people will be awake, fully awake, walking around in the world. And they'll just see a guy in a red flannel shirt in a very weird situation. It's like he shouldn't have been there. Or sometimes we'll get it like somebody you know, I saw this guy and then went down the road and saw Bigfoot. But this guy was in a flannel shirt, didn't know it was a thing till I heard your podcast, etc. So that being said... I enjoy the encounters like yours a little bit more because people are fully awake. No one can say you were dreaming.
5: hmm right? mm-hmm.
2: So what were the circumstances? You're walking in this tunnel and he was in this tunnel?
5: Yeah, and the lighting is so dark and strange that I was very easily able to convince myself that it was just a trick of the lighting, mm-hmm. just my imagination going wild because of the strange circumstances because I was already creeped out being there.
2: Right, right.
5: And that's the logical part of my brain that wants to explain away these things. But the just, part of me, that, was he was he just, standing just standing there standing? and I feel like exactly like your wife, like maybe he had an ax, Mm-mm. but maybe he didn't have right. an ex, And it's just because he was, looked like the brawny paper towel mm-hmm. man. That's how my um, wife described him. Yeah. And yeah. And then I thought, well, maybe he was a workman at some point in these tunnels that helped build the school or something. Mm -hmm. And he died there, you know? And so honestly, I still don't know what I believe. I am just fascinated by this because I always thought that ghosts or apparitions or whatever were usually little Victorian girls in (laughs) fancy dresses and not the lumberjack man, you know? Right, right. So wow. it's very strange.
2: So he wasn't walking or anything. He was just. No, kinda... he
5: was just standing there looking at me. Oh. Um, wow. And I would say the expression is similar to that of your wife's. Like, I did not feel threatened, mm-hmm. but I did feel like it was weird. We were looking at each other and like we weren't supposed to be able to see each other.
2: Oh, interesting.
5: I relate to what your wife was saying a lot.
2: Very interesting. That's very, yeah. very interesting.
5: But I didn't feel threatened and I'm naturally scared of everything. Mm hmm. I mean, if I saw a lumberjack walking down the street, I would be scared, so, but I wasn't scared <laughs> it's, in this situation. It's too much dateline,
2: Kimberly. It's just Yeah, too much I know. <laughs> I know. So in your life at the time, were you going through anything particularly stressful or upsetting?
5: Um, just in that senior year of college can be stressful because you don't totally know what you're doing with your life. Sure. And yeah, yeah. trying to figure it out. And the circumstances were stressful in that I really, I'm not a rule breaker. I'm not an adventurous person. Mm -hmm. So I was going along with this because I wanted to break the rules just once, you know. (laughs) But knowing that if I got caught, there's a chance I wouldn't be able to graduate and my parents would kill me. Yeah, it was a little stressful. Yeah, yeah.
6: yeah. Have you
2: in your life had sleep paralysis?
5: No. Terrifies me, the thought of it, though. That sounds just absolutely the most terrifying it's
2: a lot of not a hundred percent again it's just a good percentage probably and this is paranormal encounters in general probably 60 70 percent or more maybe i maybe 75 percent the people i ask have also had sleep paralysis if they've had these other things wow so uh there does seem to be some correlation there and this is is this the only like spooky thing you've seen
5: yeah, and it's it's not like I haven't wanted to, but at the same time I really do feel like I am manually cranking up some sort of wall
0: mm-hmm. between
5: myself and any other world just because I'm such a naturally anxious person mm-hmm. that I don't really want encounters, so I think I I really block it out.
2: Right. So, I don't want to stir anything up or frighten you at all, but it's, this is the question I ask everybody who's seen this guy because again, this is just another correlation. Have you in your life at any time had a strange encounter with a black dog? It could have been natural, could have been otherwise that just was just weird, that just was like seemed out of place. No. Okay.
5: I can say firmly, no, I am obsessed with dogs and they tend to love me as well (laughs) because I love them. But now I'm going to be thinking back, but no, I can't think of any off the top of my
2: head. Okay. Yeah. Because there is some, again, that's another thing we've noticed. My wife in her early childhood in the same room would see black dogs and we started talking about that. And then other people were like, oh yeah, I saw this guy in a flannel shirt walking a black dog. And, and, (gasps) you know, so we-
5: Oh, a twofer.
2: Yeah. Yeah. So we started to make that connection. Again, not always, but sometimes it happens. Well- I don't know what you saw. Sorry, I don't have any answers. Yeah. That's the thing with this stuff. It's at the end of the day, I don't know.
5: And I think um, that's why I am so open to it is mm -hmm. because I think the smartest people are the ones that realize they don't know everything. Sure. Yeah. That's... We can't possibly know everything.
2: Whenever I talk to people about the paranormal, beware of the people that have all the answers because they need to show their work because... You know, simply. Mm -hmm. The end answer is I don't know. And sadly... I probably won't know before I'm gone. Uh, Mm -hmm. This is just one of the mysteries of life. Mm -hmm. But it's super interesting. And thank you for sharing your story. Where can people find a date with Dateline?
5: We are at Date Dateline on Instagram and Twitter and check out our podcast
2: and it's available all the places it's available all the
5: places and we have bonus content on patreon and supercast now
2: fantastic and
5: oh we have a website a date with dateline where we have lots of bonus stuff we have bingo cards that you can play along while you're watching dateline lots of fun stuff
2: fantastic thank you so much again kimberly
5: thank you
7: And here's the best part. Your insurance may cover 100% of the cost of your medication. So go to TryLifeMD.com to have your eligibility checked right now. Get started today at TryLifeMD.com. That's T-R-Y-L-I-F-E-M-D.com.
2: Speaking of Flannel Man, this next account was sent in by Lee uh, it's very thorough. Look, he has footnotes.
3: Oh, this is something Josh would really appreciate. <laughs>
2: <laughs> Lee was very thorough.
3: Context.
2: The mid-2000 was, here it comes, a liminal time for me. I was in my 20s, a time of relationship ups and downs, money struggles, in between jobs or juggling different dead-end jobs, and side hustles, and moving house several times. I lived in South England in a borough with discordant undercurrents. The area is still a mixture of urbanization and greenery. Both modern and ancient churches sit on what I imagine were once sacred pagan grounds. An old natural water spring still runs through the borough. As a teen, a close friend and housemate regularly watched strange, logic-defying lights darting around in the sky a few miles away, in a heath area rumored to be a plague pit from the time of the Black Death. He and I, and the rest of the house share, were into disinfo.com, Robert Anton Wilson, Alex Gray, etc. We were a quirky bunch. However, there was an even stranger vibe to the Victorian house itself. With plenty of big windows, it was light but often felt gloomy or heavy, although that may be more because a bunch of 20-somethings years away from working out various issues inhabited it. One or two decorations hinted that previous occupants had dabbled with the occult. The paranormal significance of the house number, 11, may have attracted those with interest in this field. The decorations included a black goat head and a large six-foot-tall wooden cross at the bottom of the garden, which we found whilst clearing the area of weeds. The basement had a wall that was shoddily put together with gaps in the brickwork, allowing us to see what appeared to be notes hidden inside. None of us dared pull the wall down. We looked through the gaps as best we could using our mobile phone torches. You know it's from England, because he said torches. Over here, we would say, flashlight.
3: Thanks for the continuity, expert.
2: It would be overdramatic and wrong of me to say the oddness of the house was all-encompassing. We had some great times, both in the house and around the area. However, there were a number of bizarre incidents while we lived there. They ranged from small, inconsequential synchronicities around numbers to a particular housemate being plagued by nightmares and a belief that a relative on the other side of the world visited him in his sleep shortly before dying. However, I will focus on my personal encounters, as well as one by another housemate, which overlapped with my own. My first encounter with the flannel man. It was an odd, cloudy, but still bright afternoon outside. I do wonder if this weird, bright gray cloud outside had a role in the occurrence. My own bedroom, however, was well lit. I was reading The Stargate Conspiracy by Lynn Pickett and Clive Prince. I've been reading my way down the rabbit hole in the paranormal, spirituality, religion, and conspiracy theory in a futile attempt to find the truth following some major world and personal life events. There isn't enough time to break down the book here, but I do think me reading the book may have had relevance. The following all happened in a few minutes. Silvery white sparks and flashes and other odd visual artifacts began in the far right corner of the room a few feet away from me, just in front of and to the side of my wardrobe. Within moments, a figure started to appear from within this area. It was a silhouette or a shadowy or watery substance which began solidifying into a human's shape. I ran to the wardrobe and grabbed a jacket because I was properly spooked and wanted out of there ASAP. When I turned back around, I momentarily caught sight of the man, who was now behind me. He was modern looking, about my height, six feet, white, with short to medium length blonde hair. He wore jeans and a blue and yellow check flannel shirt. He seemed to be looking at me on this one occasion, although maybe that was my anxiety and paranoia at the event. I was not scared as such, but I was nauseous at what felt like a violation of my privacy. I grabbed my keys and walked quickly out of the room. By this point, whatever it was had disappeared. I decided not to tell anyone and see if anyone else volunteered stories similar to mine. I didn't want to put ideas into people's heads, especially given the already latent oddness of the house. My housemate's different but similar encounter with a hooded figure. It was a very sunny late afternoon, early evening, about a week later. I heard my housemate, who had the bedroom next to mine, screaming that she had just seen odd light phenomena in the right corner of her room, followed by a man in a brown or black hood or cloak who materialized from within it. In retrospect, my friend was going through some far more difficult issues than myself at the time. Could she have interpreted the same phenomena in a more scary or darker way than me because of this? It reminds me of the story of the kids who saw a white Bigfoot and a black demonic Bigfoot at the same time, where another kid with them saw nothing at all. At this point, I disclosed my experience to my roommate. I must stress that I had not mentioned my encounter to anyone else before this, and she described the odd visual effects before I told her what I had seen. My thereafter regular sightings of Flannel Man, I'm glad to say that neither of us had this exact experience again, but I began to see the apparition appearing and disappearing on a nearby flight of stairs so regularly that it became almost passé. This was the same image slash man I had seen before, but more like a residual haunting. It seemed to be in a loop, which I would witness parts of here and there for the remainder of my time in that house. Up close and personal, a sleepwalking housemate or something else? One night later in the year, I came home in the dark around 10 or 11 p.m. and was stricken with a fear of turning on the hallway light. It was like I instinctively didn't want to see something. I stood in the blackened hallway and felt a figure walk up close to me. I felt as though we were face to face in the stillness, blackness, and silence. I said quietly that we meant no offense being in the house and that we could all share the house together. I do not remember if I whispered this under my breath, or if I said it only in my head, or went back and forth between the two. After a few very long minutes, the figure backed away. I heard the sound of it walking slowly over the creaking floorboards. Back down the hall, the sound of a door closing let me know the encounter was over. I remained in the dark for a few minutes, hoping that a housemate or guest would appear from where the sound faded into, so I could laugh and say that they had scared me. Surely, if it was a housemate or guest... They would have said something like, Lee, what the heck are you doing, for example. Of everything I've written here, I think this experience is the flimsiest, but it was odd. Even if it was just two twenty-somethings who stood together in the dark for a few minutes, one potentially none the wiser. No housemaid or friend appeared, and after a few minutes, I went up to my room, still in the dark, confused, saddened, and shaken. I don't know what to make any of this, and I am, to be honest, a bit skeptical of the hallway encounter. However, I do know that at least in my bedroom, I witnessed something— And on the stairs, I witnessed something again and again and again. What it was, I have no idea. Something that, at least for now, I call a South London flannel man. On episode 337, we talked with Lobie, who had several stories. As I was editing her interview, I clipped out one story, really for length because the episode was getting kind of long. But it was a good story. It wasn't a story that I clipped because it wasn't a good story. Mm-hmm. But I knew we were coming up on this short story show, so I saved it. If you haven't heard Lobie's episode 337, it was two episodes ago, go ahead and check that out for some context. But I don't think you really need that much context Not for this, mandatory for-, for this story. Yeah, Her daughter saw what they called a witch lady. There's also a tarot card report and a brief story about people in the
8: closet. I mean, my oldest daughter, she doesn't really see a lot of things and hasn't really. But then my daughter, who's 23, she's a lot like me. You know, I think if that distant cousin were to meet her,
9: mm-hmm. yeah,
8: <laughs> he, yeah. Would, he would probably be like, oh, yeah, you, you have it, you know.
9: Right, yeah.
8: And my two youngest, my son's about to turn 13 and I have a 10-year-old daughter. My son, Nothing. He saw something weird once when he was really little, but he's not sensitive to anything. And my daughter is a little bit but not I don't really talk about this stuff
9: mm-hmm.
8: with them. I mean I did with my my two older kids just because we lived in a house that was oh yeah yeah haunted and stuff, so they were but my two youngest, no, I don't really share a whole lot. I mean they, they know some things,
9: mm-hmm.
8: But not like the way I talked with my two older ones. And actually, my, my two oldest, they had, I guess, the worst experience they ever had was when they were... My oldest daughter was about four and my other daughter was two. And they shared a room. They saw what they call the witch lady in their bedroom. Mm. We were living in an apartment at that time and I had just gotten with my ex. And it was just my two daughters and I, and we were living in this apartment, and their bedroom was right next to mine. And it was actually, it was close to Halloween, which was kind of funny. And one night, there was just this scream from their bedroom. It was like, I've never heard them scream like this. And I remember glancing at my clock, and it was 4.09 a.m. And I only remember the time, because that's the time my oldest daughter was born. She was born at 409. I don't even remember getting out of my bed and running to my bedroom door. I just remember being at my bedroom door, opening it up. Their door wouldn't open. It took a second or two. Wow. And they weren't at the door. Right. They, right. Weren't, they weren't blocking the door or anything, but I could hear them screaming in there. There was nothing wrong with this door. This, this door always opened fine. And I remember trying to open it, and it didn't open. And then I tried it again, and it opened fine. And they had turned the light on, and they were running out of the room. They were screaming. They were terrified. And they were like, the witch lady, the witch lady. And I instantly, I believed them just because of all the things that happened yeah, when I was yeah. little.
2: And they both and saw we, it.
8: They both saw it. We went into the living room, and I sat them on the couch, turned all the lights on. Went back to their bedrooms, looked all around, checked the window, everything. Like the room was fine. I go back into the living room and I'm asking them what happened. What it was is my older daughter had a twin bed. The younger one was in this like little tykes. It looked like a like a beetle.
9: Mm-hmm.
8: Like it was one of those cars, right, a car yeah. bed, but yeah, it was like a yeah. beetle. Mm-hmm. So she slept in that and. Sometimes she would climb into her sister's bed. So my older daughter, she felt something, like some weight on her bed, and she just thought it was her little sister climbing in bed with her, and she felt it touching her hair. And I guess, I don't know, she made a noise or something. I don't know exactly how, but my younger daughter woke up, looked over at, her big sister and saw this shadow touching her head and saw my younger daughter scream, which made my older daughter open her eyes Mm -hmm. and she saw this thing. And that's when they both started screaming. They call it a witch lady because they said it like it was just a black figure. There was no, I don't know if it was like a shadow person But it was just a black figure, but they knew it was a lady. And they said it had a hat on. That's why they called it the witch lady. Oh, okay. They didn't immediately jump off of their beds because my youngest daughter remembers she wanted to jump off the bed, but she looked down on the floor and she said it looked like there was mice or rats. Oh, wow. Covering the floor just like if you were to have like a bunch and they were all like running on top of each other and Mm -hmm. running and she said that she just remembers like she didn't want to get off the bed because she saw that on the floor. Wow. She goes it was either mice or rats. It was these things like just all on the floor and they were black. So there's screams and at this point I'm trying to come in through the door. They don't remember if she just disappeared or how she went away. Mm-hmm. They just remember me coming through the door. They heard me, I guess, trying to come through the door, and they jumped. They just started running towards the door. Then after I had went back into the room, after I had set them on the couch, I went into my room, and all of a sudden they were screaming on the couch, and I had all the lights on. And I was like, oh, God, what now? And I run out. There's like this little short hallway. They're on the couch. And I'm like, what? What is it? And they said this black thing came down the hallway. It flew out quick and it went up the chimney. Because we had a fireplace in the living room. And they were so scared. They were pointing at the fireplace. They said it flew out real quick and went out the chimney. Mm. That was the last night they slept in that apartment. I broke the lease on it. Oh, okay. And I, I had just got together with my ex and he had a house. So he said, you know, just move in with me because he was there when it happened mm. and it freaked him out. Cause he had never ex- he had never experienced anything like that and he didn't see any of it and he's never seen anything like that. But you know, he has heard my stories
2: and you wonder but, if there's yeah. some connection to this witch lady and whatever hag or whatever was, you know, touching your mother's hair.
8: Yeah. My oldest daughter says she remembers it touching her hair, and she didn't open her eyes because she really just thought it was her sister because that's something her sister has done. Right. So she didn't think anything weird. She just thought, oh, Allie's coming into bed with me.
10: hmm
8: You know, until Allie screamed.
10: Right, right. And then
8: she looked up, and then she screamed because then she saw it. Yeah, we moved out, and they would not step foot back in that apartment, and they never did. Oh, wow. Ever. Because mm. I had to go in and, you know, get all their stuff out. Sure. They, nope. Huh. They were not going back in there. And like I said, I believed them. And I wasn't going to make them go back in there. I knew they had seen something.
9: Right, right.
8: I didn't see anything that night. But the funny thing was, a friend of mine had given me these tarot cards back when I was a teenager. And I never got into them. But, I, you know, I had them they were a gift for my best friend. But they were in my closet of that a- apartment. And I remember coming home from work one time and my daughters weren't there and I just came home real quick to grab something. And one of the tarot cards was laying in the middle of my bedroom floor. Oh, wow. And these cards were on a shelf in the closet with other stuff around it. Like there's no way this card could have just fallen and flown out of the closet and landed Yeah. in the middle of my bedroom floor. Yeah. And I remember walking into my room and instantly just like, what? Cause this thing was on my floor and I wish I could remember which card it was. But I think when I looked it up, it was like, it said something about a mother figure. Hmm. I don't remember which card it was. And I remember telling my ex about it. I was like, this card was on the floor. He goes, oh, it probably just fell out. I'm like out of a closet that's way over there and the door was closed and this box that it was in was covered with other boxes and other things. And Yeah, yeah, that happened probably probably a week before they had that experience.
2: Oh, that's interesting. Very interesting.
8: My 20th, she's 23 now but she, when she was younger when after that situation happened then my ex and I got an apartment together because I had broken the lease on that other place
9: mm-hmm.
8: and my daughter who's my younger one she would start seeing I'm guessing shadow people she would just say people coming out of her closet like at night and her and her sister they had a bunk bed, and she actually had me make a curtain because she slept on the bottom and she had me make her a curtain that would cover all the open side
9: Ah uh, yeah
8: because she started seeing people or whatever coming out of just walking out of the closet. Wow and I don't know what it is with closets, but
2: <laughs> no, I mean I've gotten that a lot you know it seems to be like a trope or something, but uh, yeah, a lot of people report things in closets
8: yeah she said these people would just walk out Mm. like they were leaving from you know just i don't know i don't know if they would ever look at her i don't remember right i'd have to ask her about it but she remembers she goes yeah people will come out of my closet
2: so the next story is from steven it's an older account that was emailed to us a long time ago Before we were doing the short story shows, I meant to get to it. I don't think I ever read it on the show, though. So in case I did, I'm going to have you read it, Alison. So at least it's a different voice.
3: Hi, my name is Stephen, and I'm a minister slash hospice chaplain from Alabama. I'm listening to the Cousin It episode and had to share a story related to me and coworkers from a patient we had. Okay,
2: one second, just for context. The Cousin It episode was... A story a guy shared with us, he was on his dad's farm or something, and I don't know if they were clearing an area of the woods. Anyway, basically what it was is he heard something coming through the woods. It sounds like it's going to be this Bigfoot encounter, right? Mm-hmm. Everything about it sounds like a Bigfoot encounter, he's telling him. And suddenly this thing bursts out, I think behind him. This is a long time ago on the show, so I'm trying to remember. He turns to look at it, and he says, it looks like Cousin It from the <laughs> Adam sound. It's just this like, hair-covered thing that didn't look like a Bigfoot. Uh-huh. It looked like Cousin It, so...
3: What Stephen's referencing. Yeah,
2: that's what Stephen's referencing.
3: This person was a staunch Christian woman whose mind was perfectly sharp. She relates that around the early 1960s, she and her family lived on a farm around the Lexington community in northwest Alabama, right after her first child was born. She was folding laundry off the clothesline on a sunny day, and she got a fearful feeling come over her, and then caught something out of her eye moving briskly from behind a stack of firewood, making a straight line towards her after making eye contact. She was frozen stiff in shock. It walked right up to her within touch distance, and she could smell it. She described it as being taller than waist-high, with ground-length thick white hair dragging the ground, concealing its legs, which was walking in all fours, rear being shorter than the front ones by the way it was positioned. She said she saw its face very clearly, which terrified her because she'd never seen or imagined anything like it. And she was familiar with all domestic and wild animals in the area being raised on a farm, The face was very long like a horse, but much wider with a large mouth, and the skin surface was smooth and shiny like bone or plastic, and she said it had kind eyes with a strange stare and resembled human eyes with a blue-violet color almost glowing. She said it then twisted its head sideways and looked up at her and then went flat like a bottom sheet. She elaborated that it went totally flat to the ground in an unnatural way, retaining eye contact. She then ran away into the house in fear, and she added later that night, She woke to tend to her baby and was shocked to see bright sunlight glaring through the front window. It scared her. She said it looked like daytime, although it was after midnight. She told me this story a few times, word for word, and also told it to nurses and aides without wavering one bit. It interested me due to having a lifetime of extremely odd paranormal experiences. I'd also be glad to share those with you sometime.
2: Sounds like I dropped the ball on that, Stephen. I'm sorry if you recontact me. I'd love to talk to you some more. I want
3: to hear this story. (laughs) I want to hear more about the lady's story.
2: Yeah, right? I mean, I think that might be all he knows. When it collapsed flat, that is so bizarre.
3: Yeah, that sounds like an alien kind of shifting kind of thing.
2: yeah. All right, next, speaking of aliens, we're going to talk with Morgan, who has a story of a couple UFOs he saw, and then another story of a prophetic dream. Tonight we're talking with Morgan, who has some UFO experiences to share with us. How are you doing tonight, Morgan?
11: I am doing all right, thank you.
2: Well, thanks for coming on Strange Familiars. You also said you had a prophetic dream. Does that relate to the UFO, or is that a separate experience?
11: No, that's a separate experience.
2: Okay. Well, what do you want to start with, the dream or the UFO stuff?
11: Well, sort of the UFO stuff, because it's what I'm more comfortable talking with. Um, The timeline will be slightly messed up. It's just the... The dream is, it's weird. Okay. Right. Like it's, it's higher up in the strangeness.
2: All right. All right. Well, yeah, let's get to the UFO stuff. Tell us to the best of your recollection when it happened and to the best of your comfort level where it happened. You can be as specific or general as you want with that.
11: Got it. I mean, I remember pretty vividly, you don't forget something like this. I was 18 at the time. Uh, This was in 2010, summer of 2010. I just graduated from high school, had my first car. I was visiting a friend. He lived outside of town, about five, six miles down Cali 3. This took place in a little town called Udall, Kansas. You probably won't find it on the map. We had two gas stations. That's it. I was visiting my friend. We were hanging out, and I had another friend with me. And he basically spent that summer with me. Like, he was like a little brother to me. He just lived at my place the entire summer. So we're out there hanging out with him and about one o'clock in the morning ish, we kind of called it quits for the night and people were starting to go to bed and the friend's house that we were at, he didn't really have that much space. He had a couch and the floor. It was like your sleeping options. And there were five or six people there. And so we decided that we were going to go home. Right. Like I had uh, another couch and that my buddy, I'm just going to call him Jay. I don't want to disclose his identity. I'm just going to call him Jay. No problem. I had my bed at home and we lived six miles away and I had a car. So why not just drive? So we get in the car and uh, we start heading back towards Udall down a little road called Cali 3. I don't know if it's still called that. It used to be called that back in the day. I was not drunk. I didn't have an alcoholic beverage until I was 23, right? It wasn't high. I never, I've never done drugs. I will specify that, yes, we were teenagers and we were hanging out, but there was no alcohol involved. I was a very boring
9: teenager.
11: <laughs> very boring. I didn't do any of that exciting stuff. I got to set the scene a little bit. It was about 1 o'clock at night, low overcast cloud cover, which is kind of strange in Kansas in summer, but it was one of those nights where the cloud cover was down, you know, around five hundred feet and just completely overcast. For the most part. There was a little bit of spaces in the clouds occasionally. Those the environmental conditions. And the road I'm driving on is a little county road, goes through cuts of these little hills. I don't even know if People would call them hills. It's Kansas, all right? So a 50-foot rise is a hill here. <laughs> I know that in most places, 50-foot is, you know, that kind of rise would just be, like, considered flat ground. But in Kansas, it's a big deal. I mean, let me tell
9: you.
11: <laughs> so you have these uh, cross cuts, and you have trees lining both sides of the road. So we're driving down the road, and most of the skyline is blocked because you're down... And there's trees on either side of you, and you can just see straight and above you, but you can't see anything to the left or to the right, which is important because here in a second. So we're going down the road, and we come up a rise. And at the top of this rise, the tree cover breaks a little bit, and I catch a glimpse of something out of the corner of my eye. It was to my top left, so my 10 o'clock, 11 o'clock position, at the very corner of the. windshield Mm -hmm. and it's a bright glowing orange object and i just catch a fleeting glimpse of it at first just a second or two tops i remember this so vividly because i catch a glimpse of the object my eyes track over to it and then the trees obscure it from vision we're going back down into another downhill again into another little valley and I remember it so vividly, exactly what I thought when I saw it. I thought, huh, it must be the sun. I don't know why I had that thought, but I, I remember that thought precisely, because it looked like if you see the sun right before it's about to go down the horizon, mm-hmm. yeah. it has that bright kind of orange glow, but you can actually look at it.
2: Mm-hmm.
11: It looked exactly like that. It had that same tone to it. Yeah, I think that that's, same color.
2: that's pretty natural to, like, go through in your head and go, well, you know, what's the natural thing this could be? And even though it's, I forget what you said, one in the morning or whatever, and it couldn't possibly be the sun.
11: Honestly, like, God, it was exactly what popped yeah, my mind.
2: Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's it almost, in some ways, the logical, illogical explanation, in a sense.
11: Well, I just thought it was funny because I had that thought, and then I looked at the dashboard in front of me, and it wasn't until I looked there that I realized, oh, you idiot, it's like one o'clock in the morning. <laughs> I stopped, and I was like, wait, it can't be the sun. Mm-hmm. Like, that's something else. So I was looking for it this time. So we go down another mile or so, and we come up to the next rise where the trees clear again. And this time, we crest the top of the rise, and I'm watching for it, and I see the damn thing. And it's this massive, I'm going to describe it as massive in truth, It's impossible to judge distance with things in the sky at night. Right. So it might not have been massive, but it looked massive. Orange, glowing object in the sky. The weird thing about it, and this is the thing I remember distinctly, besides the fact it was orange and glowing, was the fact that it had straight edges. It wasn't a square. It wasn't a pyramid. It wasn't a triangle. It was polygon right it had four sides but they weren't all equal now maybe i was just catching a glimpse at a weird angle maybe that's what its actual shape was i just remember it had a weird shape to it right it wasn't square it wasn't triangular it was a pyramidal it was it had straight edges so mm. very unnatural but not your typical you know flying saucer or something like that
2: right and not a glowing meteor or something. I know it's far too big for that, but I mean, because it's got straight edges, it's, you know, kind of eliminates that.
11: And it's stationary. And there was cloud cover, mm-hmm. right? I, I, like, there was cloud cover at the time. So whatever it was, was below the cloud cover. And this thing was, I'm heading straight towards the town, and I can see the grain elevator, because I'm in Kansas, and every town has a grain elevator. And I can see the uh, water tower, two big landmarks in the, the horizon. And it's about... 15 degrees off the horizon to the left of those, from my point of view, and probably about 20, 30 degrees off. So it looked like it was uh, like a mile to the left of town, from my perspective. And it was big. I would estimate its size at about the size of a building right? like, or a football field. Wow. So anywhere between two, 300 feet. Would be my estimate. Now again, that's just a spitball estimate. Mm-hmm. Sure, yeah. But it looked like a building. It, honest to God, it kind of looked like a glowing orange building in the sky. But wow. it, you know, obviously wasn't a building because it was flying.
2: Now, how many people were in the car with you?
11: Just one. Uh, this is where it kind of gets funny because okay. uh, I tracked this object for five seconds tops. Right. Which is more than enough time. If you're seeing something like that, it's more than enough time to just burn it into your brain. Sure. We come down the hill again and it's obscured from the view again. And I just instantly looked over to my right and my buddy Jay, he's, his mouth is just hanging open and his eyes are wide before I can even say anything. He goes, did you see that? And my immediate response was yes. Now shut up and don't talk about it. The reason I had that response It's because I grew up watching Ghost Hunters. Whether or not anybody would consider that show good or bad, I I don't know. But one of the things that show taught me was that if you experience or witness something beyond natural, it is important that you have somebody to validate your story. And it's also important that you don't communicate, because one of the easiest ways people will explain away the fantastical is to say, oh, you're just delusional, Mm -hmm. right? You're mass hysteria. But who of you worked yourselves into a frenzy and you were scared, right? They'll, they'll say stuff like that. Right, right. So I didn't want him to say anything about it until we got home. And we got a chance to tell our stories separately without corrupting each other's stories, without messing them up.
9: Mm-hmm.
11: I'll add one more detail. To be fair to the skeptics out there, I was scared after witnessing this. We, we were both were. We were both shook up. It's hard to explain because it's not like it was doing anything ominous or intimidating or scary. But there's just something about seeing something that shouldn't exist.
2: Yeah, it shouldn't be there. Yeah.
11: It shakes you. I can't explain it any other way. Sure. Other than...
2: a fairly natural reaction, I'd say.
11: If you see something, if you encounter something that shouldn't be there, there's just a little part of your monkey brain that just starts screaming. Mm -hmm. It's like, what is that? And my heart was racing and I was terrified. So we went straight home. We didn't investigate or anything like that. At that moment, we just went beeline, you know, sped straight home. My dad had been waiting up for us. I'd sent him a text that said I was on my way home and I was a new driver. So he was still worried about me driving and all that jazz. So he's sitting at the table in the kitchen when we get home and we both come in and we're like, Oh my God, we, we got to tell you the story what just happened. And my dad, who hopefully you'll talk to later because he's got some fun stories to tell, but my dad is a ex-marine, ex-sheriff deputy, ex-police officer, ex-prosecuting attorney, right? So at this time, he was a prosecutor. So interrogations is something that he's got some uh, experience with. You sure. can say it that way. Yeah, yeah. So uh, I told my buddy Jay to uh, tell my dad the story while well, I went to another room. I plugged my ears. I remember very vividly going, la, 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 the entire time. (laughs) Sounds kind of goofy, but I didn't want to hear what he said. And then when he was done, my dad came in and got me. I went into the kitchen. I told my tale, and our stories lined up perfectly. Hmm. We both described big, glowing orange object with straight edges in the sky. That's most of the story. After we told my dad the story, we worked up the courage to go investigate. So we hopped back in the car, we drove back down that road several times. My first thought was glowing lights from the uh, football field. Mm -hmm. Like maybe it was reflecting off of the roof of the building, of the school, which was orange. You know, the roof of the school is orange. Maybe there's really bright lights shining on the roof of the school and it's reflecting onto the clouds. Of course, that doesn't make sense when you consider the fact it was 1 o'clock in the morning in the summer. right. So why the school lights for the baseball and football fields would be on, I don't know. But we checked that, and they definitely weren't. Big old lights like that, they get really, really hot when they're on for any given amount of time. And they'll continue to glow, or they did back then. They might be replaced by LEDs by now. But back then, they would continue to glow for 10, 15, 20 minutes after you shut them off. Mm-hmm. It would just be that dull orange glow. And so we went straight over there. They weren't glowing. They weren't on when we had arrived either because I lived right across the street from the uh, football and baseball fields. Okay. So it definitely wasn't that. And we couldn't figure out what the hell it was. It was a big mystery.
2: Now, no other reports that you know of from around this time from the town?
11: No, not from around this time. You know, plenty of UFO reports in the area. Mm Mm-hmm. But none at this time that I'm aware of. I'd have to look it up.
2: Yeah, it'd be interesting to see if there's like a like a MUFON report or something around the same same time. Or you know,
11: I didn't even think about looking into that when I got to college. You know, I, I was so interested by this and my second encounter that when I went to college, one of the things I researched, I, I wrote papers on, was UFOs on the UFO UFO phenomenon. It was one of the things I went into. A, study about.
2: So what was the second encounter?
11: Second encounter was the same year, same summer. Just a month or two later. Uh, so interesting that they kind of lined up timeline-wise considering, in fact, I've only seen two UFOs in my life and they happened within a few months of each other. Mm-hmm. This one's much shorter story. Much, well, I don't know if it's more ambiguous, but me and Bunch of our friends were wandering around the town because we lived, like I said, in a very tiny town, population less than a thousand. Not much to do, besides, you know, kind of just wander around. We weren't being vagrants or destroying anything or anything like that. We were just kind of being nostalgic. We just graduated high school, so we were going around to the different to the grade school and the middle school, and um, going around the different parks and just hanging out. There was a whole bunch of us. It was about ten, twelve of us, maybe about maybe as many of a dozen. Mm-hmm. And we're just wandering around town. And eventually our wandering took us to the practice field, the track. And we all laid down in the middle of the field and we're just laying there chatting. You know, it was a bunch of it was a dozen high school kids, flash you know, just graduated high school kids and we're just chatting, talking about stuff. We're looking up at the stars. I live in Kansas. We live about 30 miles away, 30 minutes away, maybe not 30 miles, but you know, 20, 30 miles away from uh, McConnell Air Force Base and from Eisenhower Airport in Wichita. So we see planes all the time. I mean, it's Kansas, it's flyover country, right? They mm-hmm. don't call it that for nothing. So we see planes all the freaking time. So I'm laying there looking in the sky and I see a plane. Now, the thing about planes is when they're relatively low to the ground you can see their navigation lights flashing right that's obvious they have to have the navigation lights on mm-hmm. but when they're really 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 high up at night a lot of times you can't see those flashing lights because they're a lot more dull mm-hmm. so it's not uncommon to look up and see a plane flying at you know 30,000 feet and all you see is a single light right. moving across the sky and that's what I saw I saw a light moving across the sky at the speed that you would expect a jetliner to fly at. That's the best way I can describe the object at this moment. So I'm watching the airplane, and my buddy who lived at the house that I had visited the last time, Mm -hmm. so I'll just call him Jared, right? He points up at this object and goes, look, Morgan, a UFO. And I rolled my eyes because I was like, you idiot. Right? You live in Kansas. You see these damn things all the time. There's no way you should be mistaking an airplane for a UFO. Right, like You're giving the entire field of UFOlogy a bad name because that's what they always say. Oh, it's just an airplane. It's right, just a light right. mm-hmm. reflecting off Venus or something like that. Just, just annoying. So I roll my eyes and I immediately respond. I go, you idiot. That's not a UFO. That's a I didn't get a chance to finish a sentence. Honest to God, in the middle of telling that sentence, the thing entered hyperspace. That's the best way I can describe it.
2: Meaning it sped off at a rapid speed.
11: Yeah, it sped off at a mind-numbing pace. Wow. Mind-numbing. It looked like, like just imagine a spaceship from Star Wars or Star Trek entering hyperspace or warp. You know how they just go really, really fast, like disappear into a point? Yeah, yeah. It did that. Wow. It did that right before my eyes. And I was like, dang it, I laughed at that one. (laughs) That one didn't scare me. It just made me laugh. I was like, you couldn't have picked better timing.
2: Right, yeah, yeah. And was not a plane, not a satellite.
11: No, not a plane, not a satellite. Like. I spent a long time trying to figure that one out. I was like, "Well, maybe it was a you know an asteroid that you know got deflected." I was like, "No, it couldn't have been that. Maybe it was a, a satellite that uh, no, it couldn't have been that." I that was nuts.
2: Did it change direction, <laughs> or it just kind of sped off in the same direction?
11: Did not change direction. It just went straight. Mm-hmm. It didn't bow or arc or anything like that. Just, any, just went straight.
2: Any color to the light?
11: Nope. Nope. Plain white light. If you Hadn't been looking for it or paying very close attention, like my uh, buddy Jarek was, apparently, you would have thought it was just uh, another airplane flying across the sky. Right. Which has always made me wonder, whenever I see an airplane, I'm like, are you actually an airplane? Like, are you?
2: I saw an airplane that was very, very strange looking. And I've had similar thoughts myself. It was, (laughs) it just wasn't, it didn't look like any plane I'd ever seen. And I've drawn it for people, and they've been kind of like, well, it could be this or it could be that.
11: If you can, you should send me a picture of that drawing. Because my parents, when we lived in Scranton, um, not Scranton, Pennsylvania, Scranton, Kansas, Mm -hmm. another just podunk town, they saw two strange planes fly across the night sky without making a sound. And my dad will be able to tell you this story in greater detail but they described them as being very weird-looking planes that didn't make a sound. It yeah. was one of the stories that I had
2: when I grew up. This almost looked like like there were two different bodies to it and they were connected at the wings. It, it was really bizarre looking. And I don't even know if that's aerodynamically sound, you know And the odd thing was, if I remember correctly, it was the night of 9/11. And uh, we were out looking at the skies, and there weren't supposed to be any planes flying that night. Everything was grounded, so we took notice of it. And it was low enough, and the the night sky was you know bright enough that we could see the shape of this thing. And I just remember thinking, that doesn't look like any plane I've ever seen.
11: That's wild. Yeah. Especially on light of everything was grounded.
2: Yeah, yeah, that's the thing. That's why we took note of it. So do you want to get into the prophetic dream or?
11: Yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll tell that story. All right. I'll tell that story. It's, you know, a bit of a personal story, but I, I'll, I'll go into it. It's not too terribly long or people are going to like think that I, I saw, you know, some like imposing impending disaster or something like that. No, no, no. This was incredibly minor and really boring as far as like, prophetic dreams go this
2: happens Um, though we get this where people are like yeah i had this dream that i don't know i was working at a fast food restaurant or something and then like a year later you know i'm working at this fast food restaurant and the same person came in or whatever it was very mundane but you know absolutely predictive
11: right so this happened either my freshman or sophomore year in high school so a couple years couple or a few years before the, the the ufos and all that jazz i remember it very very precisely like very vividly not perfectly but i remember it pretty well i was in a biology class and i can't remember if biology was freshman or sophomore year i just know it was biology class mm-hmm. there was a substitute that day and so she was showing a movie in lieu of the uh, the actual teacher being there, because, you know, Substitute's there. If you got a great teacher, they just play movies. I am not a great teacher. I always make my kids do work and they hate <laughs> me for it, but if you've got a good teacher, they'll just put on a movie and say have a good day. You know, she's just, you know, puts in a movie, puts on the little, you know, those old carts, you know, the back of the day they had the VHS cart with mm-hmm. the, the TV on it and all that jazz. It was just one of those. And Uh, We're sitting there watching the movie and it was about Cell. Uh, More specifically, it was about about, uh, the human body and the immune system to be specific. And as we're watching this movie, an overwhelming sense of deja vu overtook me. It was the strongest deja vu I've ever had in my life. Never experienced this after this. Where it wasn't like I had, I kept thinking to myself, I've seen this before. I've been here before. And then it clicked I was like, I have been here before. It wasn't like, I feel like I've been here before. No, it was, I have been here before. And I remembered a dream I had had either the night before or a few nights before it was very recent. So it wasn't a dream that I happened a year or anything like that before it was either the night before or a few days before i thought back to this dream and as i was thinking back to the dream i started to remember it and it was kind of weird because in the dream everything was playing out from the third person perspective Mm -hmm. so not like like i could see myself right if that makes sense right like i'm not it, it wasn't like i was in my body it was like i was outside my body looking at the environment and I remember I, I remember remembering, that sounds dumb, but I remember remembering this dream, and as I'm remembering the dream, I'm like, oh my god, this is going to happen next. It was like some minor detail, and I was like, holy crap, that did happen next. Mm. So I, I thought i put it to the test. I was like, okay, if, if I actually did see this before, if I've been here before, I should be able to predict what will happen in a few minutes, right? Not what's happening now, not having a sense of deja vu, but no, I said, I tried to put it through the scientific process. I was like, if I have remembered this before, then I should be able to predict what's going to happen. And I said, in a few minutes, this specific uh, character in the movie is going to be dressed up in night armor and fly across the screen and stab this other character that's playing the virus with a spear, a lance and, and save the day in precisely this way. Like, I remember thinking exactly how it was going to play out. And I waited. And two or three minutes later, precisely that scene played out in precisely that way. It was exactly as I had seen it. And it's such a stupid minor thing. <laughs> yeah, yeah.
2: Like, how does this help me?
11: I was that's exactly what I thought. I was like, Oh my God, I saw the future. This is awesome. But really a bit of a letdown because it's never happened since then.
2: Right. Yeah.
11: Never yeah. happened since then. And it was such a minor thing. Yeah. Such an insignificant little event.
2: Yeah. So but, mun- mundane, but yet, yeah, I, it's like, hmm.
11: I don't like, know. I, Im- I immediately tried to like discredit it. So I, I went around and I was like, have I seen this before? I asked if the movie had been shown before or anything like that. And the teacher was like, no, I just picked a random movie off the shelf. You know, this thing hasn't been shown in, you know, 20 years, you know, it's so out of date, you know, it's not in circulation. I was like, maybe, but it wasn't like I remembered the movie. I remembered watching the movie. So I remembered what was going on around it as well. Like the people where they were, if it had just been the movie, maybe I saw it when I was a baby. Mm -hmm. you know, or or something like that. But it was everything else happening in tangent altogether. Absolutely bizarre.
2: Yeah. And again, I've gotten stories from other guests are very similar. It's like they've had these premonitions of these completely mundane moments. (laughs) Very, very accurate premonitions of completely mundane moments. It's like, what do you do with this information? And also, they don't know, like people who've had it more than once, they don't know when they're going to have it. You know what I mean? They just, it happens and they go, oh, wait, I dreamed this, you know? So it's almost like you can't use it, you know, if you dream, well, the, lottery, yeah, you, if you dream well, the lottery numbers, you wouldn't remember until you, the lottery numbers came up, you know?
11: Exactly. Because, like, I have that strong sense of deja vu. I remembered, like, dreaming about it, but I didn't know if it was actually going to happen until it happened.
9: Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I
11: was like, yeah. I, I might be crazy. And then it happened. I was like, oh, my God, I wasn't crazy. I saw the future, but it's too late you know to really do anything about it now yeah
2: and what do you do with the yeah i watched a movie in the future <laughs>
11: and it's one of those stories that i always i, I haven't even told my family about this one so when they listen to this podcast they'll be like oh my god we didn't know about this because i've kept it very close to the chest because i mean telling people about my ufo story would get the response from strangers of oh you didn't actually see that mm-hmm. it's like you you weren't there, right, <laughs> like right, yeah. I swear to God, I'm glad that all of my experiences have been you know very distant and not terrifying. Mm-hmm. I've heard so many stories on your show and on Sasquatch Chronicles where I'm like, I hope, I hope and pray that I never see that. Right, you know, I hope yeah. I never run into a Bigfoot. I hope I never run into a Dog Man. I hope I never actually see anything when I have sleep paralysis, like because I've had sleep paralysis a few times in my life, and I've never seen anything. Mm-hmm. Thankfully, mm-hmm. <laughs> it's, it's terrifying enough. Yeah, yeah, being like locked into your bed and unable to move, I've I've woken up screaming mm-hmm. before. You know, just like sat on my bed screaming my heart out because you know, being trapped in that state. It's absolutely terrifying, but I can't imagine actually seeing something. Right. Yeah. You know, like seeing a, a creepy alien or some kind of shadow man. I, that scares the bejesus out of me. Yeah. So I'm glad that my encounters were, you know, relatively benign.
2: <laughs> yeah, I, I think those are the nicest ones to have. Well, you know, maybe next time you can dream those lottery numbers and remember them.
11: Yeah. <laughs> I was kicking myself. I, I could have won that, what was that, that billion dollar <laughs>
2: lottery from a few weeks ago? Yeah, yeah. That would have be been nice. Oh, yeah. Well, Morgan, thank you so much for sharing your stories.
11: No, thank you very much for having me on.
2: Wyoming Valley Ghost Tours presents Transcendent Paranormal Conference and Vendor Fair. Saturday, september seventeenth, twenty twenty two, at the Scranton Cultural Center, Scranton, Pennsylvania. Three floors of vendors. Presentations from Jason Halls, Sherry De Benedetti, the Paranormal Couple, Eric Altman, and Timothy Renner. For more information, email info at Wyoming Valley Ghost Tours dot com or go to Facebook dot com slash Wyoming Valley Ghost Tours. That's Facebook dot com slash. Wyoming Valley Ghost Tours. So the next story that Allison's going to read for us is an anonymous story about a rabbit.
3: Oh.
2: Oh, yeah, don't get too excited. (laughs) Sounds like a doom bunny. Mm,
3: Okay. I'm in my 70s and decided to finally contact you after having many conflicting thoughts whether or not to do so. I'm still a bit hesitant, so for the record, here it goes. Now, this incident didn't just involve myself, but also my younger sister, who staunchly requested not to be identified. The time was the late 50s. We lived on Staten Island, and at that time, it was called Richmond, one of the five boroughs of New York City. Our home was the only house on our side of the street, surrounded by lots of wildlife, woods, and a hillside. Richmond at that time was very country. It was a wonderful place to grow up. It was also very hilly. Actually, there's a point on the island that's the highest point along the entire eastern coastline. We had an amazing view of New York City skyline from our upstairs bedroom window. And as a child, it looked like a brilliant diamond bracelet to me. What a truly ominous sight, though, when to witness that skyline going completely dark during the blackout, seeing all those menacing, towering shadows. Richmond also has a native history. As children, we would search and find many arrowheads. But let's get back to the incident. It was during the summer, a clear, sunny day. My three sisters and I were playing out in the yard alongside our house, having fun and enjoying ourselves. My two older sisters were playing catch with a ball, while my younger sister and I were chasing each other around the yard and woods only a few feet away. Suddenly, my oldest sister yelled, She just got stung by a bee. Both her and my younger sister went running into the house seeking aid from our mother. In the meantime, my younger sister, who was only four or five years old and I was eight or nine, started to follow them when some type of movement caught our attention. To our amazement, hopping down this worn path through the woods that surrounds the back of our house was an enormous white rabbit. It looked like Alice in Wonderland's rabbit with the bushy cheeks, minus clothing. This was a normal looking rabbit, but huge. The size of it, through a child's eye, and what I can remember, was much larger than a St. Bernard. It was all white from top of the ears to the tip of its tail. It hopped down the trail and hopped over and behind an old oak tree that's 30 to 40 feet from the side of our house. This tree was approximately six feet wide, and this rabbit peeked out from behind the tree while its rear end was sticking out the other side. It just looked at us for a few minutes, then turned while staying behind the tree and started to hop back up the trail where it came from. Midway up the trail, it stopped and looked back at my sister and I. To me, it was waiting seemingly beckoning us to follow it. That's some Mad Hatter stuff. That is some Mad Hatter stuff. <laughs> My younger sister says to me, let's go follow it. And for a second, I started to, to run after it. But then I immediately grabbed her and told her, no, we better not. And she said, let's go get our other sisters. And excitedly, we ran into the house and were telling our sisters to come quick that there's this big rabbit. We all went back out and even ran up a bit on the trail, but the rabbit was gone. And having no proof, our sighting was questioned. To this day, I cannot explain why the incident has stayed so vividly in my memory. I still get that foreboding feeling, and that I'm forever thankful that I was somehow given the sense to stop both my sister and myself from following it. Years have passed. I was 15 now, and during a conversation with my best friend, my cousin, who we were inseparable at the time, I told her about the rabbit. She laughed and thought the whole story was hilarious. She even pestered me into telling her mother, my aunt. I did, and to both our surprises, my aunt didn't laugh. She just stated that she saw one also. But that's another story. Of course, I've told my spouse, and he never questioned my encounter. And then recently, several years ago, my sister, during a phone call out of the blue, asked me if I remember the big rabbit, keeping in mind that we've never discussed it. I could hear my brother-in-law laughing in the background, but when I said yes and asked my sister what she remembered and that I was surprisingly delighted that she never forgot too, he stopped laughing. We discussed that rabbit and that my sister definitely acknowledges she saw it, but it now questions her own summation of what she witnessed. I firmly believe that this was no rabbit, that it was something sinister. Another thing, Tim, the rabbit's eyes were not pink. They were black. Black
2: Black-eyed bunny.
3: (laughs) Wow. That
2: I, Very Alice in Wonderland. Like, right? The rabbit, like, turn around, like, follow me, follow me.
3: Yeah. I hadn't read this previously. I physically got, like, a chill on my legs when I read that last part.
2: Yeah. Great story. I told her I loved the story not because she found it sinister, mm-hmm. but because it was, it's not even a bunny man story, you know mm-hmm. what I mean? It, but it has that kind of, like, just odd feeling. Yeah, dream like. Yeah.
3: I like the idea that if this happened in a dream... It would be indicative of her confidence that she was able to protect her sister and know her instincts in the woods and i think it's a really it's a really great symbol of knowing that someone or something could come and trick you and that you have the good sense to not only protect yourself but protect the people you love i think that's a great story to be
2: clear we're not saying it was a dream she obviously yeah i remembers know i know but her, i would, if we're
3: thinking dreams. of it in terms of a dream or symbology or yeah, something yeah. since that's sometimes i feel like if we don't really have the waking life vocabulary for it sure. that we have to use the sleeping life vocabulary yeah, so yeah. I mean, alternately, there is a um, cryptid, humongous rabbit somewhere in the or, five boroughs.
2: Or how many missing 411 cases are just kids following giant rabbits off into the woods.
3: Yeah, it has a real Pied Piperish quality and very Alice in Wonderland. I mean, the fact that it's almost like the same amount of girls as like Alice Little and her sisters, because like, it wasn't just like Alice Little had plenty of, like a lot of sisters. It, it's very similar. Very interesting. I don't know. I could make a lot of guesses as to possible things that were going on, but I'd love to believe that there's bunnies, humongous bunnies.
2: (laughs) The scarier thing is it's just something presenting itself in the shape of a bunny because that would appeal to little children, right? Mm -hmm. That's creepy. For our last story, we'll return to Cullen once more for a story of evil laughter And a voice from the TV.
4: This is probably the one that bothers me the most, and the one that I think about the most. When I was probably about 16, I was living in a small Texas town that I later learned is kind of known for being a touristy town for ghost-related stuff. I saw it at the time, they had like ghost tours and stuff going on, but I never really thought about it much, but apparently it's considered like a really haunted location in Texas. But anyway, I was hanging out with two of my friends and we went to another friend's house and he wasn't home at the time. So we were utilizing his house to hang out and do bad stuff that we weren't supposed to do, weren't allowed to do in other homes. Anyway, It was just us three there in the living room, and we were watching a movie on TV, and at one point I heard laughing coming out of the TV, and it was hysterical laughter, but it was maniacal. It was like, if you could imagine Mark Hamill's Joker laughing maniacally, and then it started saying my name in between these fits of laughter. So it was calling my name repeatedly and laughing in this evil clown voice. The best way I could describe the voice, like the tone of the voice, is sort of robotic and sort of distorted, but also human. I don't know, if you could just imagine an evil, distorted, robotic, evil clown laughing and calling my name and then it said, you're going to die. And it kept laughing. And then it kept saying, you're going to die. And then I looked over at my friends and my state of being at this point was like probably more confusion or shock than anything else, but probably also fear. But I was just kind of shocked. And I looked over at my friends and was like, do you guys hear this? And My friend was like, I just hear the movie. Then, you know, right at the peak of this thing telling me I'm going to die, there were bangs at the front door. Someone's banging on the door. And it was another friend who apparently knew that we were in there, and he was like, I know you're in there. But for some reason, my friends didn't want to let him in. They were shushing. They were trying to lay low and not let him know that we were in there. And eventually he went away. That memory, I'll never forget that. I think about that every day, all the time. The mystery of what the hell that was, I never heard a voice before that. I never heard one after that. The really wild thing about it was it sounded physical. You know, it sounded like it was in the room, it had a room sound. It was coming from the television. But only I heard it. My friends didn't hear it at all. There's so much about that whole thing that confuses me and bothers me.
2: That brings us to the close of our Assembly of Oddities 2 show. I want to thank Colin P., Benita E., John M., Kimberly, from A Date with Dateline podcast, Lee, Lobi. Morgan, Stephen, and the anonymous person who submitted our rabbit story. Thank you all so much. We will occasionally do these short story shows going forward. If you have a short story you want to share with us, you can do it a number of ways. If you have a way to record it, you can just record it. Send me the audio file. I'll edit it, and we'll put it on the show. If you want to record it, but you don't have a way to record it, we can set up a time where you can just tell me the story and I'll record it. Maybe I'll ask a couple questions as we go along. Or if you have no interest in your voice being on the podcast, but you still want to share your story, you can type it up and send it in. If you do that, make sure you're clear that you just want it to be read on the podcast and you're giving us permission to read it. And you're not interested in being a guest on the podcast because that'll make my email experience a lot quicker. I'll know exactly where to put your story at that point. Once again, thanks, everybody, for sending in your short stories.
7: We live our entire lives knowing that death awaits us. Many believe that some part of us endures. Eyewitnesses swear to have seen spirits of the dead haunting the living and even appearing during alien abductions. Is the UFO mystery reaching out to us from beyond the stars, or from beyond the grave? This staggering implication demands not only scrutiny of the UFO phenomenon, but near-death experiences, ancient monuments, ley lines, the folk, cryptids, and more. I'm Joshua kutchin I'd like to invite you into The Ecology of Souls, a new mythology of death and the paranormal. A comprehensive theory of all things supernatural framed through the lens of our final transition join me as we journey from the depths of prehistory to the present from the outer space of the cosmos to the inner space of the self ecology of souls volumes one and two now available from amazon in print and as a combined ebook welcome to the ecology of souls
2: We have an extra busy week this week, so we're not doing a curiosity. However, I do want to mention our Etsy shop. It's always open. Lots of stuff up in our Etsy shop. If you support us via our Etsy shop, you're supporting the show, we have my books up there. We have Strange Familiars t-shirts, the classic Awoken Tree design. We have artwork, both originals and prints of my artwork are up there. Strange Familiars stickers. We have old photographs that Allison has added, lots and lots of antique photographs and more, including some past curiosities of the week, some past photos of the week, if you remember when we were doing photo of the week, and more, check it out. Our shop name is Lost Grave, but if you type in Strange Familiars, you should see our stuff come up. While you're on Etsy, make sure to check out Chad's shop. It's Ruck Rabbit Outdoors, and check out our friends at Karmic Garden as well. Thanks for listening, everybody. We'll be back soon with more Strange Familiars. Strange Familiars is a production of Dark Holler Arts, music books, art, podcasts, and more. Intro and background music is by Stone Breath. If you want to hear more or purchase music by Stone Breath, you can go to stonebreath.bandcamp.com. Strange Familiars is on Facebook, facebook.com slash strangefamiliars, where you can join the Strange Familiars gathering group. We're on Instagram, at strangefamiliars, one word. And you can find us on the web at strangefamiliars.com.
10: Are you fascinated by UFOs, the occults, strange history, and more? On October 14th through the 16th at SIR Nashville, the Strange Realities Conference 2022 will take place. Three days of exploring the mysteries of the supernatural, history, UFOs, the occult, and much, much more. Featuring presentations by Steve Berg, Micah Hanks, John Tenney, Adam Gowrightly, Tim Banal, Christopher Ernst, Samantha Engel, Recluse, Nathan Isaac, Melody Blackthorne, Dr. Future, Saraya Askath, Timothy Ritter, Aaron Goulias, Delaney Bowers, Olaf Phillips, and David Metcalf. With workshops by Kiki Dombrowski, Ren Collier, and Michael Hughes. Come join us in Nashville or online. Tickets are available at strangerealitiesconference.com. Find out what everyone is talking about.
6: When you see millions of the mouthless dead across your dreams and pair battalions go, saying up soft things other men have said. That you remember, for you need not so give them not praise for death. How should they know? It is not curses heaped on each gash. Your tears, their blind eyes, see not your tears flow. back to